friends. It's your Chapo. We're back again. Uh, with me today is Matt, Felix, and Amber. Uh, we do have a guest, but I will introduce them by way of bringing up the fact that, you know, now is a, it's, it's a pretty crazy time here in America. We are, you know, on the road to accounting for half of the global death toll of COVID. Um, we are coming up Woo-hoo! on a presidential coming up on a presidential election that offers really uh, a choice between you know despair and more despair. Um, just two different competing brands of senility um, uh, offering a a a brave new future for us here in America. And you know it, it, when things get bad in America, we often look to the north. We look to the friendly country on our northern border as you know. As holding out hope for some respite from the nightmare that uh, takes place in our 50 states. And I guess what I'm saying is, even if you wanted to visit Canada, which you can't now (laughs) as an American because you are now banned from the government of Canada from crossing the border, what I'm saying is, don't start building that great escape tunnel to Montreal just yet. You may want to get on that motorcycle, just crank it up, try to jump over the border into, you know, one of the... Canadian provinces, but, you know, maybe hold off on that because Canada is a country with a very unique history and one not too different from that of our own country. And by that, I mean, it has a veneer of polite liberal society that papers over just the raw extraction industries. Um, What else? Let's see. uh, Neo-Nazis, insane deep state connected mass shootings, the genocide of indigenous people and a ton of other bizarre occult shit. Uh, Canada shakes her hand and smiles at you before killing you in a gladio plot. Okay, okay, <laughs> but maple syrup. Just put it out there. Uh, maple syrup's okay. Gravy on French fries, though. Now we're talking. You got maple syrup in Vermont. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I go poutine if you're talking Canadian con- contributions to culture. So here to help us uh, break down the, uh, the, the dark side of the, the, the moose-pocked Great Northern Way is our good friend Dan Beckner. How are you doing, Dan? I'm good. Uh, I'm in the uh, Operators Command and Control Center in Montreal here, just, just sweating in my non-air-conditioned apartment. But so you, you have get- interlocking fields of fire. That's what matters. That's right. We've, we, the grid is active. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, fuck, can, can, it's hot up there, too. It's, it's not it, just nice and cool and temperate. It's not snowing right now. Oh, no, it's oppressively hot. It's <laughs> yeah. sweating like a hog. <laughs> well, Dan, um, there, there, there are so many different um, avenues uh, that lead you to the dark heart of Canada. But the one I want to begin with is uh, a bit of very, very recent history in, in Canada that is just really, it is the most just like a, a throbbing eye emoji this, that, that, that really does offer, I mean, quite a few avenues of inquiry. I'm talking, of course, about the worst mass shooting in ca- Canadian history uh, happened just back in April in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And there are so many elements about this case that, it, that is baffling and like I guess we should just start with the fact that the uh, official government inquiry into this will now uh, as that has just been announced by the Canadian government will not be essentially open to the public or like they will issue a report but there will be no public hearings on the matter Dan can you can you suggest why this might be the case I think this might be the case because I mean the the non black pill interpretation is that the RCMP fucked up so bad when this shooting started by not uh, sending out like a mass alert, you know, because the shooting, mm-hmm. I think it lasted for 10 to 12 hours. Yeah, it was about yeah. 13 was, hours of, him, of, of a guy's name. His name is Gabriel Wortman. And he spent 13 hours just driving, you know, uh, around Nova Scotia. And he ended up murdering something like 23 people with a variety of guns. And torching houses, and he did it in a in a fake police car too. That, yes, that's the yes. most. It's the mo- it's the single yeah. most grand theft auto mass shooting in history. I would say. I you know I this might be a weird time for patriotism, but I just feel like we're much more time efficient in our mass shootings. And that's uh, true. When they talk about lines for healthcare, no one ever talks about how long it takes to complete a mass shooting. I mean, it's yeah. just it's a really inefficient country. I got things to do. It's a denser population down there. 
and the uh, yeah. and your population centers are denser. But as I mean, are the, our music festivals. This is true. I mean, the most fucked up thing about uh, about uh, the commission shutting down a public inquiry is one of the people on on that commission is the former fucking police chair. Like the, it's uh, the former police chief of Fredericton. You know, this is this is one of the people who decided no we're not looking into this so if you like you said like dan like there is the there is the non eye emoji explanation for why any any public inquiry into this would be i mean just massively embarrassing to the royal canadian mounted police because uh their you know response to this was you know and not only that but wortman himself had been uh you know facing many domestic battery charges and weapons charges for which he was never arrested or even interviewed because of He'd also tangled with the police as well. Like he, he he confined two police officers to his parking lot for improperly parking. Like (laughs) (laughs) he did a citizen's arrest of police officers for parking in his parking lot. It sucks that he killed all those people because he's kind of, I would think he was cool before that. (laughs) (laughs) He sounds pretty American, but uh, yeah, he could be like the governor of New Hampshire. If he didn't kill these people, he could have moved here. Yeah, I just, classic. I am I being detained? Him, I yeah, picture him yeah. like bullying, uh, like Mounties and their horses. Like that. To me, that's 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 the only police in Canada. Um, I refuse to believe otherwise. Um, and that's that. Well, yes. okay. Here, here's another element to this case that suggests something much more sinister. Uh, before doing this shooting that again killed 22 people in Nova Scotia, uh, the, the the shooter withdrew. in cash from um, uh, the CIBC Intria, a subsidiary of the chartered bank that handles currency transactions. Now, why is this interesting? Uh, I'm reading here from uh, McLean's article about it. It says, court documents show Wortman owned a New Brunswick registered company called Berkshire Broman, the legal owner of two vehicles, including one of his police replica cars, which he used to do the shooting. Whatever the purpose of that company, there is no public evidence that it would have been able to move large quantities of cash. Wortman also ran his own denturous business, and there is no reason to believe it would also require him to can't handle that amount of cash. If Wortman was an RCMP informant or agent, it could explain why the force appeared not to take action on complaints about his illegal guns and his assault on his common law wife. A Mountie familiar with techniques used by the force in undercover operations, but not with details of the investigation into the shooting, says Wortman could not have collected his own money from Brinks as a private citizen. There's no way a civilian can just make an arrangement like like that, he said in an interview. So like right before doing this insane shooting, he was able to take out almost half a million dollars in cash from a Canadian bank, despite not having any indication whatsoever that any like either personally or any of his businesses had that amount of cash on hand and even if they did he would not be able to just walk into the bank and leave the same day with a half million dollars in cash it was a brinks depot which is how the rcmp pays criminal informants like that's that's the that's the method they use and you know the other the other sort of gladio type thing about this is that his neighbor, uh, his neighbor whose name is Peter Griffin. Freaking sweet. <laughs> holy crap. Oh, Lois. Oh, God. Holy, holy, holy crap, Lois. Remember when I was part of P2 Masonic Lodge? His, his neighbor, Peter Griffin, just uh, recently did a seven-year stint for drugs and weapon trafficking linked to La Familia. A Mexican drug cartel with links to the Hells Angels. Oh dear! Do they know what happened? What happened to the cash he withdrew? Uh, okay, so apparently uh, his family, so Wortman's family, uh, is trying to get it back from the RCMP, or were trying to get it back like <laughs> three or four weeks ago. So the RCMP have admitted that they do have, like, he had a gym bag full of cash, and they have it in evidence, but uh, I don't think it's going. Anymore. So he was just shooting people with a gym bag of cash. Yeah, or they recovered like it from his from his property, maybe. Um, but they have the cash. The RCMP has at least some of the cash, and his family. Hell yeah, baby, skidoo's all around. What does the family claim? Oh yeah, those are our loonies <laughs> that we collected. Like, what do they say? Where do they say the money came from? Or are they commenting on it? Or are they just like, oh yeah, we forgot we had that. That was ours. I think it's just his, his lawyers have made a comment about it, but I don't think uh, they haven't given like a reason for, uh, you know, trying to get it back from the cops. Mm. Um, I just reading a little further from the McLean's article here. It says a second Mountie 
who does not know the first one, but who has also been involved in CI operations, also believes that Wertman's ability to withdraw a large sum of money from the Brinks is an indication that Wertman had a link to the police. That's tradecraft, the Mountie said, explaining that by going through CIBC Intria, the RCMP could avoid typical banking scrutiny as there are no holds placed on the money. Quote, that's what we do when we need flash money for a buy. We don't keep stashes of money around the office. When we suddenly need a large sum of money to make or buy something, that's the route we take. I think with the Brinks transaction, you've proved with that single fact that he had a relationship with the police. He was either a CI or an agent. And like, you know, this, this, uh, you know, when when I, when I was just thinking about this and it's just like, this is a, this is another mass shooting that seemingly has absolutely no motivation whatsoever like there was no manifesto left and i you know it bears a lot of the hallmarks similar to like the you know the steven paddock shooting which you know uh, to this day to this day i mean like is makes absolutely no sense whatsoever in terms of like why someone like steven paddock would do something like that or like why he was able to take you know why he had an I guess it makes sense why he would have an arsenal of that size, but just like why he would have so many, that many guns in that hotel room at that yeah. time. It's just, I mean, like it could, it could be one or the other. And the other thing that has just happened here in the States recently, that is also sort of like I emoji adjacent, not even adjacent, just connected. But the, uh, the murder of that federal judge's husband and the shooting of her son in That's New right. Jersey. And this was the, uh, judge Selena Salanas, I think her name was, was just appointed to the, uh, Deutsche, a, a case involving, um, uh, shareholders in Deutsche Bank suing Deutsche Bank over their connections to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, the guy who broke into her house, uh, dressed as a FedEx agent was a longtime right wing crank and like men's rights activist. And former Opie and Anthony guest. Yes. Former <laughs> and <laughs> Stephen Colbert interviewee. Yeah. No shit. Now he apparently also had a, had had a case before this judge involving I don't know like like suing uh, Columbia suing, over he there. He was suing to uh, overturn the selective service requirement to only draft mail. Yeah, the guy, the yeah. perpetrator or alleged perpetrator Roy Den Hollander, like he his he was like a crank lawyer who would like sue bars for having ladies' nights. That was what he was known for like fifteen years ago. I mean, it's like. That can be used to say like, oh, there's that. This is just like a crank who had like some fucking bullshit men's right case, men's right case against her, and clearly had like some complex against women. But I will say, I mean, it's not like I know one way or the other right now. But like that was kind of one of the things with P two and Gladio was that the CIA would use right wing cranks to kill people. Yeah, that were that were standing in the way of their goals. And just go, oh, yeah, it was the right wing crank thing. Well, and they they also like when they wanted to, say, infiltrate left groups very frequently found, um, you know, disgruntled former members of, of whatever organization that had like an axe to grind. I mean, it's it helps if they're already pissed off at this person. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, the, it's just like the weird thing with cases like these, which like, you know, on the surface, like, don't these these spectacular acts of mass murder which like on the surface like don't seem to make sense or you can find like with Roy Den Hollander like oh like there there's an Epstein connection and like you know that obviously like that 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 could just be a coincidence or a chimera too i mean like you know whether it's america or canada like not a lot of people need like that much extra motivation to just go fucking insane and start killing people yeah. but i mean was certainly with the the Nova Scotia case i mean like this whole thing with just the cast withdrawal from like a Brinks truck right before he did it. And the fact that they've like, you know, are, are officially, you know, closing any public inquiry into it would seem to suggest that he was, um, if not an informant and like an active asset of the Royal Canadian mounted police. But I guess like the speculation or question is like, to what end, you know? And I guess like these are you, Dan, you spoke about his neighbor's connections between yeah. a drug cartel and the hell's angels where it's like, uh, the, you know, like as, as the, infor- as the, the source in the McLean's article said, like, look, this is what we do when we need a shitload of cash, like immediately to do like a buy bust or to just put an operation in motion. So, Again, and another clear ex- another example of this is the Boston Marathon bombing. Like, there's a yeah. lot of indications that uh, Tamerlane was an FBI informant, and that like oh, yeah. he was, you know, basically the FBI facilitated that bomb or the bombing, or if not facilitated it, like actively aided uh, the Sarnayevs. In they covered carrying- up a triple murder he likely committed a year before the bombing. 
that's and, that's weird to that's do. Right. And, then, and then immediately after the bombing, uh, the two FBI agents went to interview a guy who was connected to all of it, who was Tamerlane's close friend. And in the, through the course, in during the course of that interview, the guy they were interviewing ended up getting shot in the back of the head. <laughs> and uh, so that, and that's that. So that's yeah. that on that. <laughs> my my theory on Wortman is that he was going to do a buy bust, uh, probably connected with his neighbor, who's you know connected with the Hells Angels La Familia conglomerate that is working across Canada. And something went wrong. It got bungled by maybe got bungled by the local RCMP, and he just lost his shit. And yeah. the reason yeah. and the reason that they that the RCMP did not you know put out like a basically like a mass alert. Like I've, I've got friends from Nova Scotia who were like, every time there's lightning, my phone goes off, you know, it's like weather alert, be careful, waves, lightning. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and I think the reason the RCMP didn't do that is because they had an Oh shit moment when they found out he wasn't just killing people. He was in a cop car. He was burning people's houses down. You know, that was the other thing he was like tying people up, shooting them and burning their houses down. And like going from small town to small town. And I think they, you know, they just, they basically didn't want to expose how idiotic this like buy bust thing was. And that they'd relied on this guy who was clearly on the verge of snapping. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, and then with the, with the commission getting shut down, I can't remember the exact wording, but today there was like a briefing and the reasoning behind it was, we don't want to re-traumatize the victims. I don't. love that everyone uses that <laughs> language like, now. Wow. And fucking, and fucking yesterday, 300 members of victims' families protesting outside of, uh, outside of the parliament, you know, we want a public inquiry. And then yeah. their response is, no, we don't want to hurt you. Yeah, you don't understand how triggering an inquiry could possibly be. I love that. I love that, like, yeah, if, like, Fucking James Jesus Angleton was alive today. He would accuse his critics of Orientalism. <laughs> uh, wow, uh, you're uh, you're despacing a Latinx named individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's James Jesus Angleton. Actually, yeah. Felix Rodriguez would have a field day in front of the. Oh God, yeah, yeah. He would accuse uh, John Kerry of being a brochalist. Back during <laughs> I, the last good thing that John Kerry did. Oh man, I'm imagining the the good faith accusations of anti-Semitism lobbed by Doctor Sidney Gottlieb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the thread with with all of these horrific cases is like you know whether, or like like you said, the Roy Den Hollander thing, Felix. Like it, it could very well be like it, what it appears on the surface, a right wing crank doing what right wing cranks in very what a small percentage of them invariably end up doing which is killing a bunch of people because of ladies nights at bars right or like it, it needn't but it's very easy to just think like yes it's it's that but also the fact that like you said um right-wing cranks make the perfect shooters for something kind of some other kind of operation or if, if they're being set up by their handlers then like i just think the the the, the common denominator is that there is really no person on earth more dangerous than like a a the asset or like informant uh for a federal law enforcement agency because they are essentially given carte blanche to commit crimes they're not not just not just that like their crimes will be covered up but they'll be actively facilitated by the law enforcement agencies they're working for and then when they feel like they're burned by you know their handlers or whatever they fucking they end up killing you know dozens of people or like with the Stephen Paddock shooting, I know that the conspiracy angle on that is that it was all some kind of arms deal with like the Saudis gone wrong. But then again, like that begs the question, like why shoot 600 people to cover it up? Yeah. Yeah. And also like, who could this out? Why would the Saudis possibly need to like buy small arms from like a single private dealer? Yeah. I don't know. I'm obsessed with the Paddock thing and I don't even have like 20% of the thing I, I, I can believe. Um, I mean, like JFK. I mean, we have our own personal theory about JFK that it's sort of similar to our explanation for this case, which is like it's an op that got out of hand, and then everything after it is like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, yeah, we yeah. we killed the president, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, <laughs> covered up. But like, but everyone, okay, everyone surrounding the JFK case who was like discarded and take that as you will, 
was like it just littered with like right wing cranks that you know the CIA or Dave whoever. Ferry. Yeah, it was just like, oh my god! All right, all right. Uh, you have stomach cancer now. All, the, all, all right, you're gonna exiles, die now. Eladio right, Del Valle, all yeah. those dudes. All right, see you, you little freak. I mean, if the CIA is bad at doing this kind of operation and you know exposes themselves all the time, the RCMP are a thousand times worse. Yeah, They're amateur hour bumbling. They, I mean, they've been busted. Uh, there was an indigenous standoff in Gustafson Lake where the RCMP got busted planting fucking IEDs. Oh my <laughs> what? god! I did yeah. not know that one. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Yeah. And, and a similar and a similar case where the RCMP were employed by uh, oil companies to uh, discredit and eventually uh, try and maim people who are trying to sue said oil companies for poisoning their farmland. So, you know, every time they try some shit like this, uh, it just falls apart in their hands. Do they even have horses anymore, by the way? Are they even mounted in any way? Yeah, I mean, you'll see. You'll see Mounties sometimes. I've, I've seen Mounties at the uh, Lester B. Pearson uh, Airport in uh, Toronto. If they're not all on horses, they have to change the name. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I want a Dudley yeah. Do-Right-Ass Mountie or nothing. Yeah, you have to wear the red outfits at all times and get everywhere by horse. That's right. And Don't I got- get to tack up like a fucking dumbass with, oh, look at my ballistic plate. No, fuck you. You wear a big dumb hat and a red jacket. Hor- <laughs> horsey, uh, bright red outfit. Um, you know, completely sort of innocuous kind of uh, goofy demeanor. That's what I want in a Mountie. Yeah, strapping, tall. Like, but like you, think, you know, like uh, talking about JF, the JFK shit, and like you know, our our and our uh, 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 cousin podcast Truanon's um, budding obsession with Operation Gladio in Europe. It's like. Well, why is it that like intelligence agencies from their like very inception seem to have been intimately connected with criminal organizations and violent right wing psychopaths? And the answer is like, well, A, they're very good and have no moral qualms about torturing and killing people. But like two, I mean, their beliefs are essentially the same. I mean, they are overwhelmingly like violent right wing organizations that despise the left and then you know and then if you're not talking about criminal organizations like the mafia or drug cartels or you know paramilitaries or whatever just individual psychos as well are very useful because they essentially believe all the same things as well like this guy Wortman had been um pretending to be a cop for years and had apparently um had had like you said like arrested cops for being in his parking lot but essentially had been wanted to be a cop but was constantly at war with them because he didn't respect them because he didn't regard them as being as smart or good at being a cop as he was. That's a specifically dangerous personality. Yeah, yeah wasn't that a character in Mindhunter? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, all, no, all yeah, of them. Uh, 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 Dennis Rader was that. Dennis Rader stopped right. stopped doing home invasion murders after he got a job as like a security officer. And he, he was able to sublimate his homicidal urges through bossing people around. He was notorious for like he was like a security guard for a homeowners association or something. And he would just oh, harass God. people over like petty bullshit. There was one woman who he would like uh, constantly harass. He threatened to have her dog killed. And, and like she was like, this guy was a nightmare. But I mean, I guess for her, it's better that he did that rather than fucking like came into her house and strangled her to death. Yeah, Matt, that, that it, was mean, where he got off. That's how he was able to get off. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, problem solved. That's a, that's a harm reduction. Just give them yeah. power. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. No problem yeah. there. It's like it's like the yeah, it's like capitalism and, and the steep, the deep state expression of it recruits people uh, who have a certain authoritarian mindset. But then there are some people who have the right mindset but they're just not emotionally stable enough. And you can't assimilate those into your formal networks, your police officers and your prison guards and stuff, but they sure make handy uh, freelancers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like this is, uh, and, and, and the, the mafia as well has often used um, like mentally unstable individuals to carry out murders that are seemingly that, that look like, you know, assassinations that look like essentially the act of a lone schizophrenic, uh, you know, like lunatic, basically. That famously, you know, like, Frank Colombo assassination was that. Yeah, um, just the, just the the last line from this McLean's article about this giant cash withdrawal is it just <laughs> says here. But another Mountie says this guy always wanted to be a Mountie. 
He was acting like a Mountie. He was doing Mountie things. It's clear to me that something <laughs> yeah, okay. went, it's clear to it's, me that look, something we're doing, went we're wrong. Doing, we're doing it's it's Mountie things. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> well, I mean, this is like you know he, he says it's clear to me that something went wrong. I mean, this goes back to our conversation with Tom O'Neill about Manson. Is that like is it that something went wrong or is it that something went right? Yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Something oh, went okay. too right and kind of spilled <laughs> spilled outside of the bucket of being right and yeah. splashed around on the community and now a bunch of people are dead. So. Well, okay. Well, I mean, that that's one aspect of it. But if we like, so widen the aperture here for a moment, like you know, and and, and another point of comparison between Canada and America is that you know, uh, you know, in America we're currently and have been for a while now undergoing the, the, this moment of um, controversy and, and revision over, you know, should we have um, so many statues of, like, uh, former <laughs> Confederate generals and, you know, leaders of the KKK in, uh, in state houses and various public places in, you know, across mostly the south of America. And, you know, people are like, well, yeah, let's get rid of these statues. Let's tear them down. Canada is even more <laughs> insane because... You guys have not just one, but several statues to like actual fucking Nazis who carried out the Holocaust. And it's seemingly yes. only now are people beginning to be like, hey, is this controversial? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For the, uh, this is my biggest shock in the last few years of like following Canadian politics online is I never knew this a few years ago. But right sector just completely owns Canada. It's insane. <laughs> it's fucking insane. I would have never known that. Yeah, the well, Anton Pobre lobby. It's, see that uh, that's that's the genius of if you're if you're from an ethnicity, don't come to a big country. You're just going to get be subsumed in the the morass of 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 uh, you know melting pot assimilation. Go to a country with a small population in a, lot of in a large number, and boom. Run that shit. A, a small, largely ethnically homogenous population. What could go wrong? Because, yeah. like, what, you're Ukrainian in America. It's like, every, oh, Holodormo. It's like, shut the fuck up. Who are you? But when you're a Ukrainian in Canada, you're, you've got a much louder voice. I mean, the, well, the, the sort of Banderites, I guess we'll get into this, but the Banderites in America uh, are way more organized than the Canadian ones. Uh, but they have kind of been not assimilated into American culture, but like assimilated into the cold war era ideological deep state, you know, mm -hmm. whereas, whereas in Canada, they've kind of, uh, that group, that ideological group of Ukrainians has kind of been allowed to spread out both to the left and to the right in a way. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the rub about the, like the Nazi memorials and, and, you know, uh, in Canada. Is it like, it, it wouldn't, obviously this never would have happened if they were literally just statues to like, you know, Himmler or Goebbels or like any of the Nazi high command. That's but right. instead, it's because it's like, not the, the Nazi, German Nazis per se, just all of their allies in countries like Ukraine who did carry out much of the Holocaust. Well, and I'm I've, just going to... I got to say that the statue, the one statue that uh, that everyone is talking about right now that has finally brought this like issue to the fore is actually a statue, a statue for a Nazi division. It's the, the 14th oh. SS Waffen SS Galatian Division. Okay, yeah, who were, this is who your... were an actual fucking Nazi unit made up of yeah. Ukrainians. It's so. a, it's a, it says here it's a, um, it's a, a centaf honoring members of the SS division of the the SS. Uh, Gal Sorry, how do you say that, Dan? Uh, I think it's Galician, actually. Galician division of the Waffen SS, the Nazi Party's military branch, whose long list of war crimes includes the Holocaust. Yes, uh, genociding <laughs> right, right the top. Yeah. <laughs> the, pi the pillar is located in a Ukrainian cemetery in Oakville, Ontario, which is vandalized with the words Nazi War Monument sometime around June 21st. Early in the investigation, the police classified the vandalism as a hate crime, meaning the <laughs> SS members are the ones who are the victims of hate here. In response yeah. to David uh, Puglis of the Ottawa Citizen, the Halton Regional Police spokesman stated, this incident occurred to a monument and the graffiti appeared to target an identifiable group. The fact that that identifiable group in question is an SS division didn't seem to matter. That um, is a fucking tell right there that like, okay, we're defining this as a hate crime because someone in the Ukrainian community complained about it, saying that 
SS 14th Galatian division equals Ukrainian. That's a tell, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, that's like, you're kind of, you're kind of showing everybody, uh, what your ideology is, which is you think that division was good. You know, you think these people are heroes. So, I mean, the, I mean, like the question is, and I'm, 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 I'm reading here from a nation article about this. And yeah. like, the question is like, who built these monuments and like, how come it took Canada so long? Like, it would just essentially welcome them with open arms. And the answer is, I mean, this is kind of like a weird, both official and unofficial, like paperclip that happened in both in America, but also especially in Canada after World yes. War II, where it says here, um, uh, basically, the United States and Canada took in thousands of concentration camp guards, SS fighters, and other Nazi collaborators from Ukraine and other nations such as Latvia, which had its own SS division, one, one it honors today with parades. Uh, there are several theories about why the U.S. and Canadian government welcomed these murderers. Some say it's because it helped them fight against the USSR in the Cold War and indeed declassified CIA materials admit to it. Others point to where they were used as strike breakers to weaken the resistance of labor movements. Underneath those, a much simpler explanation. American and Canadian elites led in Holocaust perpetrators for the same reason they denied asylum to Jewish refugees on the MS St. Louis who desperately tried to escape the Holocaust only to be rejected at every port of call. Anti-Semitism. So I like uh, I, I like that we got Werner von Braun and those guys, and then Canada's like, yeah, we'll take the guys who murdered like thirty five guys for trying to organize a pickle factory in Kiev. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> take much, the, take those guys. There's a sort of yeah, there's a Ukrainian immigrant community that um, because of the of like the legacy of the Soviet Union regards many of these figures as heroic figures of resistance against Russia and like Soviet domination of Ukraine. And like the thing is when you get into the apologism for why these monuments are allowed to exist in the first place, much less not be, not be desecrated literally every day because they're a monument to the people who did the Holocaust. um, It it doesn't take long before you start hearing the phrase Judeo Bolshevism. Oh yeah. it's at the end of every single argument online with uh, every single like what about argument about, you know, oh, the Soviets did this, the Soviets did that. And I think the reason the statue, this statue vandalism thing is I've been kind of obsessed with this since 2015, 2016, when it came out that our foreign affairs minister's grandfather was the editor of the biggest Nazi propaganda outlet in occupied Poland. The especially <laughs> fucked up thing about it is it was also an imprint on medium. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dan, you just, you opened up another huge door here, but in case you know, listeners, you, you may have missed that. The, the current deputy prime minister or like shadow deputy prime minister or deputy prime minister. Shadow prime, basically shadow prime minister. Yeah, the shadow prime minister in Canada's former foreign secretary, Christia Friedland. Her grandfather was one of the premier Nazi propagandists of all <laughs> yeah. time. One of the yes. one of the great, one of the greatest of all, one of the greatest in the game to ever do the, Nazi propaganda. One of the best. So, so basically, this this information had been floating around. Uh, the Polish government was actively looking for this guy. His name is Mihail Shomiak. That's her, that's her granddad. And uh, some Canadian communists, uh, this guy Alex Boykovich and his friend, were doing research at the University of Alberta archives and found Chomiak's personal papers, which included copies of fascist uh, papers that he had published in Europe, other fascist papers, and a pretty damning picture of him and Emil Gasner, who was the Nazi in charge of uh, sort of coordinating propaganda in Galicia and and occupied Poland. So, you know, like kind of a big dog. Like he went to Nuremberg, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> as evil as America is, like I, I can't imagine this being allowed to just sort of like just skate by here in America if it turned out that like a major figure in either the Republican or the Democratic Party their grandfather was like intimately connected with like the third Reich and the, and the Holocaust and their propaganda efforts. I mean, what, what, where, where it gets interesting is, is Christia's response to this is yes. when she was finally sort of like the, this had come to light. Her, her response was as such. He says, 
it's no secret that Russians do not like you and banned you from the country, began the question. <laughs> Recently, there has been a series of articles in pro-Russia. This is the, the journalist setting up the softball for her. She says, yeah. Recently, there has been a series of articles in pro-Russian websites about you and your maternal grandparents, making accusations that your grandfather was a Nazi collaborator. I'd like to get your view. Is this a disinformation campaign by the Russians trying to smear and discredit <laughs> oh you? Or, which they have a tendency to do. Uh, Friedland Ooh. replied, <laughs> "Great, great the journalism. The dishonesty of the Slavs that we all know and love. Oh my God, they uh, are Friedland perfidious re- people." Uh, her response to that very hard-hitting question was, it's public knowledge that there have been efforts, as U.S. intelligence sources have said, by uh-huh. Russia to destabilize the U.S. political system. I think the Canadians are, and indeed other Western countries should be prepared for similar efforts to be directed at us. I'm confident in our country's democracy, and I'm confident that we can stand up to and see through these efforts. I don't think it's a secret, she continued. American officials have publicly said, and even German Chancellor Angela Merkel has publicly said, that there were efforts on the Russian side to destabilize Western democracies, and I don't think it should come as a surprise if these same efforts were used against Canada. Now, here's the thing, like, it, I could imagine if this happened in America, like, look, obviously, you're not, we, you, you know, the sins of the father or the sins of the grandparent should not, you know, pass down to the child, like, if your grandfather was, not you know, a Nazi, and then you're, you know, had nothing to do with them, or didn't really even know them, and have essentially living a good and decent life, and devoted to right. public service in whatever country you're in, like, fine but when it comes out like this seems this seems like an odd reply to just be like well yeah like i that it's true and i unequivocally condemn and i'm ashamed of like any association my family you Uh know the actions of my family but this just seems to be like the response is just not she's not denying it but she's just saying like yeah this is russian the information is being weaponized it's true yeah but it's trying to remember i'm trying to remember how gorka handled any inquiries into his family history and I want to say that I, I think he, he just sort of lightly touched on it. I don't think he, uh, he was I just like, what, he was just like, right. Uh, they, they were, you know, resisting coming. I don't remember what. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Amber, you're right. Like, like, like the, the Judeo Bolshevism line of like, Oh, you don't understand like what, what the Bolsheviks did to the Ukraine was so horrible that like, yeah, like, you know, that, that, I don't know, accounts for all the shit they did in world war two. Um, but yeah, what, what, what Gorka did was essentially about like the Vitezi Rind or whatever was just to say that like, yeah, like this was part of a heroic Hungarian, like anti-communist movement. Right. And like, you know, downplayed everything the, else that that entails. If you're that talking gloriously about. failed. <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a light touch. Yeah. Um, you know, the Freeland stuff makes a lot more sense. Uh, and you know, because of the state of journalism in this country, no one really did this, you know, but it makes more sense when you look at her family history and you realize that, you know, she loved her grandfather. She worked with her grandfather at his newspaper. He had a newspaper and uh, I believe it was Edmonton. So that's where she first learned to be a journalist. Uh, so he stayed her, in the journalism business is, yes, is what you're yeah, saying. He, he also had a I weird... Mean, the, Military is a great, great place to like learn skills that you know you can find a career in. Yeah, exactly. It makes even more sense when you find out that her mother, uh, his daughter Helena Freeland, uh, who's like she ran like I think a feminist bookstore in uh, in Alberta and was like kind of a public liberal. She was involved in rewriting the Ukrainian Constitution after uh, after the Soviet Union fell apart. And her uncle. Wow, a real uh, feminazi, an actual feminazi. <laughs> there she is. And her, and her uncle, her uncle Bogdan, uh, worked for USA, USAID, which is you know the soft power right. arm of oh, yeah. U.S. Yeah. intelligence. On uh, he he worked on a special project, which was decollectivizing agricultural land in Ukraine, like mm-hmm. basically chopping it up and selling it off, privatizing it. So you've had, you have a whole family that is essentially carrying out like a generational ideological project based around fascist, like exterminationist Nazi ideology that has just been passed down and, uh, you know, and, and they're kind of returning to the homeland. And with Freeland, her version of this is Operation Unifier, which is like basically hundreds of millions of Canadian taxpayer dollars poured into the corrupt black hole of Ukraine to 
forward, like kind of a nationalist policy, you know, sniper selling them sniper rifles, training Azov battalion. So that's why the, that's why her grandfather being a Nazi Ukrainian nationalist Banderite matters. And I think it was really hard for the Canadian public to put all of that together in their mind. And what made it even harder was that the journalists that should have been sort of probing into this instead just ran cover for her. So I'm talking about like Jesse Brown from Canada land. I, you know, before it came out that these accusations of her grandfather being a Nazi were true, I messaged him and was like, Hey, uh, why don't you guys do a Canada land episode on, uh, Ukrainian fascists in Canada? And he pitched it over to his co-editor, Jane, uh, And they made a big joke about it. And we're like, this is fake news. She was like, I'm Ukrainian. I know this is fake news. So, Uh, you know, like, so, and then, you know, I I think the worst, but the, the, the worst culprit in whitewashing this was a former vice editor. And uh, I think he writes for foreign affairs now, Justin Ling. I'm familiar with this guy. Yeah. So he, he put a piece out basically claiming that uh, the, the Russian embassy had approached vice with some like information about, Christia Freeland's grandfather, which they chose not to publish because they knew it was like erode. It was supposed to corrode Canadian democracy. <laughs> and um, it's genuinely yeah. shocking that like uh, this like former like Gavin McInnes like uh, fashion do's and don'ts like early two thousand hipster website is so fucking responsible for the dissemination of just like Cold War hangover misinformation about like not just like the West, but everywhere. It's, it's completely insane when you look at vices, foreign reporting. I mean, I'm just saying it makes you wonder. I gotta say uh, credit where credit's due, credit where credit's due. Red Kahina called that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's true. But to be fair, fair, if you call everything a psyop, eventually you will be right. Yeah. Yes, this is inevitably be correct. That was one. That was one where she she got she got the the daily double. This, this, just, when you when you're fishing with dynamite, this <laughs> fucking broke this fucking broke my mind though. Uh, so he the, Ling published this article defending Freeland and dismissing these claims, and then tweeted out uh, that Chomiak's paper was like many others anti-Semitic and was censored by the Nazis. That does not make it a Nazi newspaper. <laughs> let's let's go, dude. It's like, nice. All right, when you're getting like fucking editorial cues from Emil Gasner and Nazi <laughs> High Command, it's like so. Fucking Ling's defense was that uh, Chomiak was forced to do this, and he would he he just like Marvel Universe did. You know, he was like maybe he would maybe he was sneaking in anti anti Nazi propaganda into the propaganda <laughs> while they're publishing shit like right. how to recognize a Jew in your neighborhood. <laughs> Yeah, he put like an acrostic in the article about identifying Jews by the shape of their eyes. Look, that was look, like resistantler. Just because my newspaper runs the comic strip Beetle Bailey does not mean that we are an arm of the U.S. military uh, industrial complex. It's just it's just a comic about a, a, a buffoonish private and a general who gets horny for his secretary. That's it. Exactly. No, I mean, like I you mean, could say like he he was doing the Kurt Vonnegut Mother Night thing. Like he was doing Nazi propaganda, but it was all actually secret coded messages to the yes. allies about how to win the war. About how to be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, this would culminate for Ling in this psychosis would culminate in him publishing a McLean's article about how Putin was going to install a Manchurian candidate in Canada. Looks Why like would they, you bother? <laughs> Who gives it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that talk about just a yeah. low return investment. Yeah. And it's also funny because it would it would seem like as every as the details of the story that you've just told us, it would seem to suggest that a Manchurian candidate has been implanted in Canada, but it wasn't the you know Russia or the former Soviet Union doing it. Yeah, it was the fucking it was, remnants it was the fucking of the Nazis. OUN. You know, <laughs> it was Banderites. You know, and I don't know. And I think the reason people are engaged in it now be, is is because. Graffitiing a statue to an SS division is a lot easier to be revulsed by than something that is wrapped in like uh, flack, you know, like like that something that's something that's 
oh, maybe it's a Russian op. You know, there's the, there's nothing yeah. to hide behind. It's a it's a statue to an SS division. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you say there was also a connection to British intelligence with all of this? As as there are, if you're talking about no. Nazis and the no. and yes, way. yes, Felix, there is <laughs> no. So, I don't believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's that. so good. So, um, uh, my partner Devoika and I were were doing some deep research on this yesterday and dug up a whole bunch of wild shit because I. I had always it had always bothered me. I knew that the Ukrainian community here, uh, back at the turn of the century, the turn of the last century through the 1930s, was fairly left. Like they started something called the Ukrainian Labor Farmer Temple Association, which had like 167 branches across the country, and they and the UTLFA like also started the first workable public Medicare in this country. Like before we had Medicare. They had uh, something called the Workers Benevolent Association, which would provide. It's provide like a that framework. in New York too. It's uh, right. like it's like that in New York too. Like you have some um, very, very, very right wing, um, like uh, Ukrainian immigrants and descendants of Ukrainian immigrants that are essentially like have like Cold War hangovers, and then like you go to KGB bar which was literally like a, a social, it, it was started as a socialist um, club for Ukrainian immigrants. Like there's very, there's like a big tradition of left-wing, even like Stalinist Soviet Ukrainian social clubs. And yeah. then also there's some Nazis. Yeah. So in this country, in Canada, that left-wing element was absolutely sidelined. And in some cases, like a lot of cases, they're, Halls, the labor halls or temples, the places they met, were appropriated with the help of the state by right-wingers. So, and, and essentially the way that happened was in 1940, and this is the British spy thing, uh, a man named Tracy Phillips came to visit Canada. Uh, he was a former British colonial officer. He worked in the Balkans. Uh, his expertise was basically splitting indigenous populations in British colonies uh, between, you know, two different groups and pitting them against each other. Yeah, you put, you put, what you'd like, the classic move is you take the group that had been disadvantaged before colonialism and put them in charge so that they can carry out your will and then also get revenge on the group that that, that they felt were, you know, that was oppressing them previously. But it's like, it's a a brilliant move and you've seen, you see it play out across all kinds of European imperialism throughout, you know, across, you know, the centuries. Exactly. So he's in the country and he is doing a cross Canada tour talking to diaspora communities to get to basically check the temperature for, I mean, publicly it's to sort of make a bridge to these diaspora communities. But what he's really doing is working for British and Canadian intelligence, finding out who's a fucking socialist and who's not. And uh, he focuses on the Ukrainian community and realizes that most of the community is left. It leans pretty far left. If they haven't been assimilated, you know, they're, they're pretty far left. So he helps the Canadian government start something called the UCC, uh, which is like the body that kind of represents the diaspora now and excludes all of the leftists. So does not let socialists join the thing that will represent Ukrainians in Canada and packs it with right wingers, uh, packs it with people from the clergy and then eventually it gets backed with uh, yeah. SS 14th Galatian division members. So erases uh, the leftists' contribution and voice in, in the Ukrainian diaspora. And this guy was like a virulent anti-communist, and, and he succeeded. You know? And then the, the people they brought in post-war from these displaced person camps acted as strike breakers and you know, uh, community leaders. And they were, they were mostly like bourgeois, a lot of them compared to the first wave of immigrants. The first wave of immigrants were farmers, you know, these guys, like a lot of fascists are from the bourgeois. So they easily manipulated and dominated the the diaspora. And this is, this is a story that's, that's repeated throughout Europe and, and America at, after world war two. It's just like, as soon as the Nazis were defeated, 
like the enemy became the Soviet Union. It became Bolshevism, which is what, you know, Churchill and much of the leaders of the West wanted to fight to begin with. What they, what they always regarded as the real enemy. Then like, they were almost like disappointed that they had to fight Hitler to begin with, you know, like that they couldn't make that work. Yeah. And then like, you know, after World War II, I mean, it, the fight against, you know, it didn't happen immediately, but like certainly in terms of like uh, the OSS and what would become the CIA, this was their goal all along was to, re, you know, fight the next war. And then yeah. like in, in doing so, it, re, it involved absorbing much of like, if not Nazi leadership, then like Nazi affiliated groups in those countries to be there, the kind of the tip of the spear against to wage war against the left in what were now essentially democracies, right? That like like, at the ballot box uh, or in trade unions and otherwise, and lo and behold, what that involves is employing people who, as we talked about at the very beginning of the show are all violent right-wing psychopathic mass murderers that yes. occasionally spill over into, you know, fantastic acts of public violence, be it they be the assassination, mass murders, bombings, kidnappings, things like that, that seem like they're like, Oh, this has gotten out of hand, but are really just the template for how to wage war on the left in the, in the, in the cold war paradigm. Yep. And internally, in the old, and if you want to purge a diaspora of uh, left-leaning politics, the best way you can do is put a bunch of violent psychos in it. You know, like just you've got a you've got a Yugoslavian diaspora that's causing problems. Just ship in some Ustasha, You know, like. moving on here, uh, just like uh, just wrapping up here, we got, we have some just some quick hits about yeah. uh, a, a few other fun details about Canadian history. Now, Matt. You brought up something that uh, or that I and I don't think even Dan was aware of about the uh, Canadian leader during World War II, Mackenzie King, because Canada was William Lyon Mackenzie yeah, King. Yeah, Canada, Canada was a big part of the, the Allied effort. You know, I mean, they were a big part yes. of, of D-Day. Many Canadian soldiers yeah. served and died in World War II in the Western Front. Um, but yeah, but, yeah uh, the leader of Canada during that time was a guy named Mackenzie King. What is? Yeah, what, and he. He after he died, no one knew it at the time. But after he died, and his diaries were uh, revealed, it came it came out that he was heavily into the occult, uh, specifically paying mediums to do seances where he communed with people. Uh, the people he communed with included Da Vinci, his parents and grandparents, uh, some of his dead dogs from his past, <laughs> and FDR. I was totally unaware of this. Yeah. So wait. So I, assuming I, I assume he had he had contact with the actual fdr while he was alive but then, yeah. and then right after so he, he died which, he goes, just, which one to talk yeah to. right he after he died which, he, he just knew which uh medium was serious <laughs> so yeah like right after he died he just kept the conversation going through uh through a medium <laughs> yeah there you go and then uh another similarity with america is a spate of satanic panic surrounding Vancouver Island that had to do with the game Dungeons and Dragons. When did this take place, Dan? Uh, this would have been, this would have started in 1980 uh, with the publication of a book called Michelle Remembers by uh, uh, Lawrence Pazder. And uh, he co-wrote it with the subject of the book, Michelle Smith, who he married. <laughs> so, that, sounds really, uh, that sounds really healthy. That's yeah. Definitely, yeah. That's a good... That's a good uh, ethical collaborative relationship. No, I'm not grooming her. I degroomed her. The Satanist groomed her. It's actually the opposite of grooming. So the the, the book is uh, like pur- pur- purports to be uh, her experiences that he has pulled out of her mind with uh, hip like regressive hypnotherapy. Uh, right. That's you know, a, not re- a thing. Not a thing. Which is totally not a thing. And. Uh, it's just basically like a, one horror after the other. It's it's a very, you know, it's the story of like a young girl who's being sexually and emotionally abused by Satanists and and eventually by Satan himself. So Hot. Yeah. Oh, every, I mean, come on. You're telling me it was Satan himself <laughs> and not one of the lesser dukes of hell like Bath, you know, Baphomet, Azazel, yeah, things like Ball, that. Or just one of, yeah. Baphomet, yeah, one of Baphomet, their- Baphomet is such a scumbag. Like he's always like if you want to meet Satan, you have to blow me. <laughs> <laughs> and this so is every, why we can't have burger records anymore. Uh, he's basically like a really sleazy roadie. Well, yeah, that's why that's that's why uh, Bark doesn't talk to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the split. 
That's why he worships like Norse forest gods instead. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen who yeah, respect women. Yeah, exactly. Norse forest gods are actually really nice. They're like really humble. Right. And I mean, there's, there's something to um, the, uh, the traditional kind of, uh, you know, sort of chivalrous idea of it, you know, like I, I, there is, there is a place for women in that, in that worldview. Um, and they get to wear those medical bikini tops, I understand. So it's great. Or if, those are pretty cool. or if you're talking about the Greek pantheon, it's like, look, if you want to have sex with a human woman, just like be normal, act normal and just appear before her as a swan. Yes. <laughs> Simple. Uh, so, uh, so I mean, so this was this was all based around Vancouver Island, and like, yeah. so how, did, how did Dungeons and Dragons get involved in it? So basically, like a- the, the whole thing was purportedly happened in Victoria, and then uh, you know, people like my mom and everyone she knew were like, "Oh, Victoria is the world capital of Satanism," which is something that you'll you'll hear occasionally, you know, floating around to people who are in, interested in the occult. It later came out like obviously this whole thing was completely made up, right? And it was almost like kind of a, like a weird sex fantasy thing that they had going with each other that became a bestseller. Uh, Michelle again, and like I like, like I said, hot. Um, by the way, there's really good journalism about this from uh, a woman called Debbie Nathan, who um, was a, a feminist working for a, a feminist um, editor, and she covered the Satanic Panic shit and was like. This stuff is all made up. They're throwing gay people, poor people, people who live in trailers, uh, immigrants in jail over like the fact that like, you know, four year olds don't know the difference between real and fantasy. And she was summarily like blacklisted from like everything like both right-wingers and like feminists like Gloria Steinem. And- uh, speaking of CIA, Gloria Steinem, <laughs> like speaking of fucking, not really like, it's on, it's on her like resume. It's not even like, yeah, her, she's proud but, of it. She's, she's, she's expressed the satanic panic that. stuff. Like anyone who tried to like in good faith, investigate that stuff was just, there was this unholy sort of marriage between like feminists and extreme right-wing like, you know, Tipper Gore moms who would just work to destroy their fucking career. And it was like traumatizing for them. Anyway, so justice yeah. for Debbie Nathan. This is I a mean, climate. A, and yeah, I mean, and like it a kind good, of resulted a good, in... A good rule of, sorry, a good rule of thumb is that um, recovered memories that are given to you by a therapist through hypnosis are is um, uh, hokum. Especially yes. if you recovered them with his dick. <laughs> yeah, so they banned... Uh, fantasy novels, science fiction novels, and Dungeons and Dragons in my uh, public school district for <laughs> years, years and years and years. Do you remember some of the sci-fi books that made the ban list? Yeah, it was just basically anything that was science fiction. So like at the time, I guess it would have been like Larry Niven's like uh, Man Kazin Wars or like, you know, just uh any anything like like the wing commander uh novelizations you know? like, <laughs> the novelization of the computer game wing commander yeah could, yeah could you could you read like gene wolf i mean he was half i don't know if they considered like catholics also a form of witchcraft i, I think it was a varying blan- opinions on it that. was a blanket ban but my friends and i were pretty pretty bummed that like you know like that our does s- suck yeah, like being a nerd and not having access yeah. to the wellspring of nerddom, like it's, yeah, it's it's amazing you didn't have like more mass shootings in Canada before this. Yeah, it's true. Well, it was just our school district, so you know who knows. Maybe maybe Couch and Lake is a hotbed of potential shooters. Well, all of this, you know, be it in Canada and America, and the Dungeons and Dragons connection to Satanism, occult, and mass murder. Uh, this, of course, would go on to be brilliantly dramatized in the CW teen TV show Riverdale. Uh, of <laughs> se- season three, especially Griffins and Gargoyles is just about the best fictional depiction of satanic murder connected to a role playing game that you are come across. I will eventually be investigating the TV show Riverdale much, much deeper. <laughs> Dark Jughead, everybody. In case you haven't noticed... I'm weird. Um, Dan, I want to thank you so much for coming on and just uh, just, just sort of uh, giving us a sort of keyhole glimpse into the, uh, the dark history and uh, background of our wonderful neighbors to the north. Uh, but before, before you go, I mean, I just wanted to ask you, 
um, you mentioned you alluded to it uh, briefly, but like you know, you are a, a a touring musician by trade, and that has been wiped out entirely by yeah, this COVID shit. And I'm yeah. just wondering, like, how, how are you getting by? How is your band getting by? How are other musicians dealing with this right now? Because I mean, like, you can't. There ven- no venues are open. Many venues are closing. Like long long standing music and performance spaces are now all going under. And you know, the idea that you make a living getting people into closed areas, breathing the same air. And that's, there's no indication that that's going to come back anytime soon. Yeah, it's all over. So, so basically none of the bands are making any money. Um, and that, and that touring is 100% like it, it is the main source of income for any musician. Like no one really makes money off of streaming uh, licensing is like a third of what it was even five years ago. So the way I'm making money right now is that Devoika and I started a Patreon uh, called Biblioteca that's basically a platform for us to put out uh, operators demos, which is my other band, uh, put out like do live streams. Uh, I've got a thing where I just sit around and listen to records and talk to people. Um, and that's that's been good, but it's, uh, but yeah, uh, please subscribe to our Patreon because that's how we're making money. So that's how well, we're that, surviving. That is the answer. It's just, yeah. you know, COVID is made, it's, it's making everyone a podcaster. You know, everyone's getting in on that Patreon model. But what we're you, saying, uh, Dan, is that we're going to have to break your legs. Sorry, this is our gig and you can't, <laughs> you can't muscle in on this shit. No podcasting yet, but uh, definitely like live streaming stuff. So. Make sure it stays that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will. We'll have the link um, to uh, your Patreon, and uh, you just put out a new operator's track, right? Yeah, uh, on the Patreon. Uh, could we use that for our outro music to give people a little taste? Yeah, absolutely. I'll send it over. Oh, please do. Once again, Dan Beckner, thanks so much for spending some time with us to talk about Canada. Thank you guys for having me. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Bye. Cheers. See you guys. Oh
Down right to the core I need a total shutdown 